Down to Earth on News Talk with Amundi, an asset manager investing in tomorrow today to shape a better future for all. Yes, it's our regular feature, The Weekly Planet, with Chief Executive of the Wildlife Trust in the UK, Craig Bennett. Every week, Craig helps me talk about a few of the latest environmental stories from around the world. Welcome back, Craig. Well, hello, Dr. Something or Other. (laughs) I'm never going to live that one down. The first story that you've brought us this week is about biomass. It's a potential source of renewable energy, but like all things, not without its environmental impact. So why is biomass in the news this week? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? The, the biomass lobby has been uh, pushing to try and weaken proposed EU regulations around woodland protection. So as part of its revision of regulations governing clean energy, the European Commission has proposed that wood fuel from valuable ecosystems, such as what well, it says are highly biodiverse forests and where there is clearly no visible indication of human activity, should not be classified as uh, sources of renewable energy. But not surprisingly, the biomass industry uh, has uh, been lobbying against this and actually has suggested alternative wording, saying that actually uh, it should it's absolutely fine if their activities do not interfere with the nature protection purposes. And I think this is going to be quite a big battle. Uh, and I think it was worth us talking about it, Cara, because it is actually nearly two thirds of the EU's renewable energy comes from biomass and it's long been a big area of debate uh, between environmentalists sometimes you know within the environmental movement as to whether this is a good thing for the environment or not and it's an interesting one isn't it on the one hand i think we can all see that certainly at sort of smaller scale uh you know people burning biomass that they've produced locally or has come from sort of uh, is spare from sort of uh, uh, off cuts from other activities and so on People are generally happy if it doesn't have to travel long distances, that that's quite a good use of that material. But I think the moment we start to, to actually be putting biomass into what were formerly coal-fired power stations, as happens, for example, with the massive Drax power station in the UK, the moment we start putting biomass into that and replacing coal, I mean, it's good to stop using coal, of course, but there are real question marks about just how sustainable this is, particularly when sometimes you're seeing the biomass being shipped halfway around the world uh, from the US, from Canada and other places as well. So big questions about it. And, and I'm not surprised that it's going to be a big debate uh, with the European Commission. So this is these big biomass producers kind of showing their true colours and that they're saying they they feel they should be allowed to harvest wood in these very biodiverse areas that are essentially should be protected. I guess environmentalists would argue that. And, you know, I was always surprised. I I went and gave a talk at the Irish Bioenergy Association a a few years ago, and I was nearly run out of the room just for saying that bioenergy has a carbon footprint and that we need to be mindful of how we manage and how we burn these materials, because if we don't manage them appropriately, they can be as dirty as a fossil fuel-based energy source. And this seemed to really come as a surprise to people, but I gather that that people are are getting that now. Do you think so? Yes, and it, I think what is it difficult about this is it all depends on the nuances and, and the particular aspects of, of how it's used in a certain circumstance. You're absolutely right that there has been some research that's suggested in some circumstances, actually shipping biomass halfway around the world, for example, Uh, can end up being just as bad as burning coal uh, for the climate. Um, But uh, as I was saying before, you can also imagine circumstances where biomass might be entirely sustainable if it's a relatively small scale and relatively local. 
And the problem is, as ever, when you're trying to set policy, how do you differentiate between those? Um, and I think one of the key issues here for me is actually to what extent is biomass burning being used here just to perpetuate and extend the life of old fossil fuel infrastructure, as is the case with Drax and many of these other large formerly coal-fired power stations that have now been turned into biomass power stations, or to what extent is it that it is making good use of material that is sort of uh, spare or, or genuinely sustainable? But it also points to the issue about how we think about forests. You know, for a long time, I think, uh, we've been, we've kind of not been able to see the woodland for the trees, if you like, or at least not being able to see the woodland habitat for the trees. Um, because people often will kind of think, well, you know, what matters is the trees. But perhaps as we might talk about on another issue in this uh, weekly planet, um, actually woodland ecosystems are about so much more than just the trees. They're about the soil as well and, and so on. So yes, we can sustainably take uh, products out of the forest and perhaps burn some. But actually, if we start disrupting the fundamentals of the forest ecosystems, that causes real problems. Yeah, so this is really one we're going to have to watch, see how the European Commission responds to this kind of lobbying. The second story uh, that I actually noticed this week, it, it barely made the news and this shocked me, but it was brought to my attention on Twitter through the well-known NASA climate scientist Peter Kalmus. And I, I couldn't believe that he was saying that late last week, over a thousand scientists engaged in civil disobedience around the world, protesting climate action, many of whom were arrested. And yet we really heard nothing about this in the mainstream media. Did you did the news reach you at all Craig? I mean I picked up a, a little bit on social media and I, I saw it from some of the places that I looked but it was hardly in what you'd call the mainstream media exactly as you say Kawa and uh, of course there's so much going on in the world now everyone kind of understands that and our attention is elsewhere in so many ways but it is so hard really to cut through at the moment I think if you are a climate scientist in particular you know, it must be incredibly frustrating that, for example, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report was published, what was it, just a week or so ago, uh, and we covered that, say, on the weekly planet, but I mean, it didn't get anything like the amount of attention it should have done, and uh, it must be incredibly frustrating to be one of those climate scientists, feel that you're kind of shouting, talking about how uh, this is such a huge, clear and present danger to society, but no one's listening, and I did find myself thinking, I'm sure you've seen Cara uh, Don't Look Up a film on Netflix. You know, I've watched it and I did uh, watching these scientists taking this direct action to try and raise the profile of uh, just how serious the climate emergency is now. It did kind of remind me a bit of the client of the scientists in Don't Look Up as well, screaming at the sky, saying, look up, you know, look at this asteroid coming to hit us and let's do something about it. And I, it did feel the same way. Yeah, the coverage of this, though, I think once upon a time, it, it would have gotten att media attention. And I don't know, is it that we're bombarded now with, you know, crisis in the Ukraine and, and all these other issues? And is that why it got buried? Or is that whole uh, civil action, civil disobedience kind of movement that that Extinction Rebellion was so successful in garnering attention for? Is that kind of a dying thing that people have just lost interest in? Well, the problem is, is, is uh, you know, we're always very interested and the media is always very interested in anything that's new. And I think uh, the direct action uh, that, as you say, particularly Extinction Rebellion, really kind of pioneered in a sort of mass mobilization way, what was about four or five years ago now, that felt new and fresh at the time. I think one of the challenges is now it doesn't so much. And, um, you know, the, the, the challenge with any kind of protest movement and any of us actually trying to get attention 
is there's a danger we can get focused on the tactic rather than the outcome we're trying to deliver. What was new about this, of course, was seeing very well-established kind of climate scientists undertaking direct action. We hadn't seen so much of that before, and that was kind of significant. But I think you're right. I think the problem is, is for a lot of people, it just was a sort of, if they heard it at all, it just sounded like a bit of noise of some other people protesting, and it was kind of quite easy to dismiss. But that's a real problem, isn't it? Because we know that fundamentally what, of course, these scientists were saying uh, and the message they were trying to get across in these protests was absolutely right. And, uh, you know, we've got to somehow find a way to make sure society and politicians in particular really hear that message and act on it. But it, it's proving very, very hard. Yeah, my heart really broke for them because even for a thousand scientists around the world to coordinate all of that action and then to have it really not amount to making any change is, is kind of a wasted effort or, or a sad effort in that stage. But the last story, Craig, that you've brought me, I think is probably something you would like to call a bonkers story about mushrooms, which I happily tucked into this morning for my breakfast. Uh, this was reported in The Guardian, and I'm just wondering, this story that you're bringing to my attention, does it mean that perhaps my 11-year-old has found yet another reason not to eat mushrooms? <laughs> well, it is a bonkers story in so many respects. But I think it's very important to talk about. So the story is that uh, mushrooms supposedly communicate with each other using up to 50 words, according to uh, some scientific research. And, and what's been done here is they've been looking at the electrical impulses that are sent between different mushrooms uh, through, through the fungal networks, the hi-fi, the strands that interconnect fungi under the interconnect fungi under the ground remember of course when we see mushrooms that's the fruiting uh, part of the fungi really most of it is underground and uh, we've known for a long time that fungi are connected through these uh, incredible networks through the mycorrhizal networks and very 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 thin uh, what we might think of as roots but they're not really roots they're kind of these connections between them and actually they connect not just between different fungi but actually between different uh, species as well so they connect up trees in in forest as well so this is the sort of suggestion he's, he's done lots of work on this looking at uh, putting electrodes on these hi-fi trying to understand the different uh, spiking events and you know this scientist is suggesting that the rhythm of these can somehow uh, uh, appear to be a bit like human language and up to 50 different words i have to say there's other scientists very skeptical about this uh, you know, another scientist was saying, yes, well, you know, it's interesting. The interpretation as language is uh, one thing you can do. But actually, what we need is a lot more uh, research on this to really understand what's going on. But I think what I, the reason I thought it was good to talk about it, Carl, is what is not in doubt is just how incredibly important actually fungi are uh, for our survival and for our ecosystems. And I think they've been overlooked in the past. I mean, put it this way. Did you know that probably around uh, up to 20% of total plant carbon uptake goes into fungi rather than into plants itself? So you have all that kind of obsession with planting trees to try and tackle climate change. Actually, if that's done in a way that damages uh, the underground uh, mycorrhizal networks of fungi, then actually it could be really counterproductive. So it's got to be done right. And, and it's what I was sort of saying before about the previous item about biomass. When we look at forests, we need to be thinking not just about what's above ground, but what's below ground. You know, this is critically important. And fungi also uh, have amazing promise. 
in providing you know sustainable alternatives to some of the problems that we talk about all the time we've talked a lot on weekly planet about the problems of plastic pollution but there's a lot of evidence now that fungi actually could provide the alternatives to plastics and ones that could be highly sustainable so i i really wanted to just talk about this story so that we can get enthusiastic about fungi for this week i mean 50 words is a lot that would that qualify them as almost a sentient being <laughs> I, think might, I think it might actually because i mean to be honest i'm not sure i get 50 words out of my dog very often i think i, I think i get food and garden from him and walk perhaps and that's about it but um uh <laughs> but i would think he's a fairly sentient being most of the time except when he's asleep for 23 hours of the day um so fungi yeah well I, you know maybe they, maybe they are maybe they aren't i think what the one thing everyone can agree there's a lot of weird things going on with fungi uh, that we haven't understood yet and we do really need to get our head around it and they could be absolutely fantastic uh, supporters in us trying to move to a more sustainable lifestyle so you know let's uh, shout out for fungi this week and i will have to say i'll give you a book recommendation on this i read last year entangled life which is a book all about fungi uh, <laughs> by an author called merlin sheldrake and it absolutely changed the world I, the way i look at the world wow. uh Carla. so uh, that would be my book recommendation I, I think only you would decide to read a book about fungi for your summer <laughs> reading list that's really that's hardcore craig <laughs> It's a great book. It does. It is. A, it is written in a fairly trippy way, Carla. So that might that might you know work for uh, summer reading. Okay, I'll put it on my list on your recommendation. Thanks for the rundown of the planet's weekly big news, and we're looking forward to hearing what you bring us next week, Craig. Speak next week.